What is up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. This is Matt Wyrick along with Kevin Haswell. It's NBA playoffs. It's NHL playoffs. I can't say that enough. I feel like I've started every show off with that intro, but we are in the heart of it, and it has been exciting to say the least. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing great. You know, the Sixers uh, getting their series over with. I think, you know, up 3-1 now. I think, you know, they've really clinched. Moving on to the next round of the, the Eastern Conference playoffs, I'm excited. Uh, we got some other fun series around uh, the NBA, and you know I'm excited to jump in and talk, uh, you know, some NBA and some Major League Baseball today. Yeah, we're gonna get started with some baseball. Of course, um, we have a new format that we've been testing out a little bit here uh, with three topics on each sport. Uh, so we got NBA and MLB that we're gonna run through today. Unfortunately, no NHL as Tom Robertson is not in the building, but we're hoping to get him back again on Thursday. Now, just as a reminder, we record these on Sunday afternoons, so unfortunately, some stats are not up to speed. So please forgive us if we have slightly outdated numbers. However, we uh, hope that our insight is good enough that it'll be okay. And we're gonna start with the New York Mets, basically uh, telling Matt Harvey. Uh, he needs to get his act together because he is moving over to the bullpen. Uh, the Mets are right in the thick of the NL East race, currently half game up on the Phillies, 14-6 and six for the top spot in the division. Harvey, however, has not been up to speed, 0-2 on the season with a 6-0 ERA and four starts. His strikeout numbers are down. His career numbers have been down ever since that 2013 season. And so far, it has not been looking like he is returning to form Kevin, what does the future hold for Matt Harvey? He hits free agency at the end of the year. Uh, you know, he was looking like he was going to be in for a major payday after this season. But with him, you know, hitting 30 after this year, is he going to be able to land any kind of long-term deal? Jeez, I didn't even realize he was 30 years old. I mean, the way he's been pitching the last three years, um, you said 2013. He actually, in 2015, had a 2.71 ERA, right? mm-hmm. uh, 13 wins. So, you know, pretty good season. But... You know, the last three years, 4.86 ERA, 6.7 ERA, and a 6 ERA. Uh, he's won a combined nine games in those three seasons. I mean, he really has not been great out there for the Mets. And, you know, it, it's kind of been matched. I mean, this year, the, the rest of their pitching, you know, the rest of the rotation has been, you know, terrific. So him not pitching well, um, not a huge deal for them. But, you know, for his career, it's not looking great, especially, you know, w- with what you were saying about him hitting free agency this summer. I, I just don't see a team... Um, even giving him more than a minor league deal, the way he's been pitching lately, uh, you know, I, you know, people are going to give him a chance. He's Matt Harvey. You know, you've seen these great stories around baseball where guys go to a different team, they get a different pitching coach, they, you know, they turn things around. Um, you know, maybe a change of scenery is what he really needs. But the, you know, hasn't eclipsed 100 innings in three seasons. I mean, Matt Harvey's you know career is really on the down downhill slide, and uh, you know, he wish. You almost wish for him that he could, you know, flip these seasons around. In the first three years, he's in the major league. He sucked, and then he, you know, has all those career years right before he hits free agency. But you know, not not the way it's going to happen. And um, unfortunately, he's only made, uh, you know, he's only making five million this year. He'll probably make less than that next year. So you know, we'll have to see. Yeah, I, I can't see him, you know, especially in such a crowded free agent class, really making anything uh, in terms of, of free agency. You know. He he's, hasn't ever pitched 200 innings. Uh, you, like I said, he's 30 years old, had you know missed the entire 2014 season due to Tommy John. And it almost makes you think, and, and, and remember, he really started falling off uh, after that 2015 season, like you said, when he pitched not only the 189 innings in uh, regular season, but also pitched the Mets all the way through the World Series. You know, they made it all the way uh, up until 
what was it, game six when they lost to the Royals uh, that year. And that really took a toll on him. He wasn't able to stay healthy the next year, and he hasn't really been able to stay healthy since, having that thoracic outlet uh, syn- syndrome, syndrome? Yeah. You know, which has taken a toll on a few MLB pitchers, actually, uh, surprisingly enough. But you know, at this point, the Mets, you know, they're making the right call. The fact that he's getting relegated to the bullpen in favor of Jason Vargas you know, really goes to show where he's at in his career right now. Um, but you know the Mets. The Mets are really trading upward right now. Uh, you know, having lo- lost two or three to the Nats. Other than that, they've really been outstanding these past few weeks. You know, taking control of that NL East with the Phillies, of course. You know, being respectable, coming up only a half game behind them now. Um, but the Mets, they look legit. Like I've said on the pod before, this pitching staff is lethal, and they just simply don't have room for Harvey at this point. I mean, you know, with Syndergaard pitching out of his mind like he has, I mean, he looks like a legitimate ace. Jacob deGrom, who, you know, had a really good season last year, was one of the only Mets to stay healthy. He's looking very good in the early goings here. Uh, Zach Wheeler looks good through his first two starts. Steven Matz has a, been a rotation staple over the past few years. I can't imagine him, you know, getting bumped for any reason. They actually are so good that they had to relegate Robert Zellman to the bullpen, uh, who actually has been a fill-in starter for them. Didn't have a great season last year, did battle some injuries. But, you know, the fact that, you know, Giselman is being moved to the bullpen, Harvey's being moved to the bullpen. If this team can stay healthy, they look really good. And it just doesn't seem like, you know, there's room for Harvey in the rotation. Maybe if the Mets weren't, you know, playing very well and they, they didn't have another starter that could come in for him, I could see him staying, you know, in the in a, in a rotation, a, you know, starting five. But with how good the Mets have been, there's just no room. Uh, you know, I think they made the right call as much as it might piss Harvey off. You know, this is what they have to do. And maybe he pitches his way back into the bull, uh, rotation by doing well in the bullpen. And, you know, he's a high-velocity guy. And maybe this is what he needs to be able to put a few extra oomph on his pitches, uh, you know, in the later innings. And he might be a more effective pitcher. So we'll see uh, kind of how it pans out for him. But, you know, as far as things are going right now, it does not look good for Harvey. Uh, and I can't say anything looks good for his future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen, you know, guys in the past who have, you know, been relegate or moved to the bullpen. Um, and sometimes it helps their career, honestly, you know, being able to just sit down and focus on one inning at a time, uh, only getting three out sometimes builds that confidence. You know, I think it's a good move for them because, you know, where they're at right now, is, you know, they're in first place, like you said, and they're playing really well. So they don't need to rely on him right now. Um, they need him to get his stuff right and be able to, you know, down the stretch, be a great pitcher. And it will be beneficial also because, you know, all the injuries he's had over his career, uh, pitching less innings this year might be better for him. You know, come playoff time, uh, he'll have less innings on his arm, and he'll, you know he'll be able to uh, pitch well. But you know, it's all going to have to start with him pitching well out of the bullpen. And you know, I think I think he'll turn around a little bit. I mean, you only have to get three outs at a time. I know it's more high pressure situations, but you know, maybe they start him out by you know putting him into games that you know eight run game or something where you know there's no pressure. He just gets get has to get three outs. Sometimes it's you know, all about just getting a couple guys out and just seeing the outs pop up on the scoreboard, it really helps out. Uh, you know, I think Matt Harvey turns it around. Um, now, do I think he'll be, uh, you know, as good as he was in 2013? Probably not. I mean, he was considered one of the best pitchers in baseball at that point. Um, but right now, um, I think the Mets have made a good move, and, you know, I wish Matt Harvey the best. But I do want to say before we, you know, before I say good luck to the Mets, screw the Mets, just go <laughs> Phillies. But... Matt, I think Matt Harvey, you know, will find a a an average. He'll turn himself into an average type pitcher. I think, you know, if they gave him more time, he might have turned it around. Um, but you know, they can't afford it right now. They have starters that they can plug in in this place that will pitch better. So he didn't really get a chance to figure it out as a starter, and I guess he's gonna have to figure it out as a reliever. 
Now, the Cleveland Indians are in first place in the AL Central, currently at 11-8 on the season, yet they're doing this having only scored 61 runs on the season. That's good for 28th in the majors. How are they doing so well? Well, they've also allowed the fewest runs in the majors at 54. Uh, the Indians are, you know, off to a pretty good start here, and you know, a part of the big reason is, is his pitching staff. I mean, Corey Kluver has been absolutely fantastic, a one five two ERA. Carlos Carrasco two six zero. Trevor Bauer two six seven. Mike Clevenger one seven five. I mean, you know, those four guys have really been carrying the bulk uh, of this, this rotation so far. With Danny Salazar on the disabled list, you know, they've needed a little bit of help. Josh Tomlin hasn't been great, but he's only made two starts so far. They've been able to skip a couple spots in the rotation due to off days. So. Now they're looking at the offense to start picking up the slack, and it's been pretty awful. I mean, Jason Kipnis is batting 188, Lindor 208, Jose Ramirez 221. Uh, you know, the one bright spot there might be Michael Brantley hitting 341, but other than that, uh, there's nobody hitting over 300 in their starting lineup. And as far as OPS Plus goes, they have only three guys above 100. Jan Gomes at 101, Jose Ramirez at 111, and Brantley at 133. So this has been a slow start. Uh, for the Indians, one that we probably weren't expecting as far as their offense goes, how long can this rotation keep that team afloat? I mean, you know, we expect Corey Kluber to be among the best pitchers in baseball. We expect Carlos Carrasco to be among the best pitchers in baseball. But Trevor Bauer and Mike Clevenger, both very good pitchers, certainly, you know, in a lot of rotations could be number twos. Uh, but are they really going to be, you know, is Mike Clevenger going to finish the year with a 175 ERA? Probably not. So, Kevin, do you think that, you know, this rotation can keep up its pitching uh, long enough uh, for the offense to come around? No, you know, a 2.64 ERA for their entire staff, including the bullpen. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. That's right. I didn't even get into Andrew Miller and uh, Cody Allen, who have a combined 15 appearances with no earned runs allowed. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and Nick Goody has a 1.35 ERA. I mean, a couple of the other guys have ERAs over four, which is why, you know, that 2.64 is a little higher than you would think. But, you know, I don't see this pitching staff being able to keep this up the whole season. You know, Corey Kluber definitely good enough uh, to be, you know, sitting right around two, above two ERA. Uh, Carlos Carrasco is probably a closer to a three ERA guy. Trevor Bauer is probably closer to a three five. Clevenger is like a three five to four guy, and then Tomlin's around a four. So you know, it'll all come back. And at the end of the day, you know, some of these guys in the lineup are going to have to start hitting. I mean, you look, Edwin Encarnacion has been, you know, they signed him to that big deal last offseason, not this offseason, last offseason, and he's in one thirty eight with a five sixty six OPS. You know, Bradley Zimmer, who, they, you know, they have high hopes for, a uh, big prospect, um, 250 average. Uh, you look, Jose Ramirez, who, you know, arguably was in the MVP race last year, only a uh, 221 average. And then Lindor, one of the best shortstops in baseball defensively. Offensively, this year he's only at 221. So, you know, they're going to need a lot more production out of the middle of that lineup. A lot of those guys that hit really well last year are going to have to turn it around. And, you know, I think one player they are missing in this lineup is is Carlos Santana. I think we have to talk about that. I mean, uh, what he's able to do, getting on base, uh, you know, he's a Philly now, so obviously I'm a little biased, but, you know, Terry Francona loved to put him at the top of the lineup, and, you know, because he had the great ability to get on base. And, you know, they, instead of Carlos Santana, they plugged Yonder Alonso into that spot. Who had a good year last year, too. I mean, a 286 on base percentage so far this year is not good enough. Um, That's not the production... Uh, you got out of Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana is like a 360, 370 on base percentage guy. I mean, they're going to need a lot more production out of Yonder Alonso um, if they want this lineup to turn around because if Yonder Alonso is not on base, there's less confidence down the, the rest of the lineup with Jason Kipnis, Lindor, and Ramirez to, you know, really get on base or drive in a run. Um, you know, personally, I played baseball growing up and, you know, seeing guys on base gave me more confidence because if someone else is a, 
able to get on base, then it, it makes it seem like it's easier to get on base. Um, whereas, you know, if there's two outs in the inning, two batters, two up, two down, and you come up, you're like, wow, okay, this pitcher's pitching pretty well. It's going to be tougher to hit the ball. Confidence is lower. I think it's important for Yonder Alonso. I think he's the key to this lineup to really, you know, turn around um, the way they've been hitting. And I think him and Jan Gomes, they're, you know, able to turn around their seasons. This Indians team still has a chance. You know, you mentioned that Carlos Santana was a 360, 370 on base percentage guy. Yonder Alonso's on base percentage last year was 365, right there in the middle. And I think, not I think for, he can return. Not up to par, though. No, no, and certainly not. And, and, you know, that's the big concern here is, is can he turn things around? Uh, and, and I think that he can. I mean, Alonzo's year was certainly took a lot of people by surprise. Um, but, you know, he has had a couple of really good seasons, um, you know, had a, a couple great, good years with the Padres a few years back um, when he came to Oakland, had a, a slow start to his first season in 2016, but then came back, obviously, before being traded to Seattle midway through last year. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's a legitimate power first baseman. Uh, you know, 28 home runs was a, was a career high, and that might be regressing a little bit. But as far as on base goes, I mean, he's, he's you know, struck out a lot more than he usually does. Uh, as far as last season goes, but he sacrificed that for that power. So that's probably what we're seeing him do is is sacrificing, you know, some balls in play for some more power. So I think, you know, we can still see him hitting around 20 home runs, um, you know, getting on base enough where, you know, he's going to be a, a valuable addition to the middle of that lineup. Young Gomes, I don't have any faith in him to really be an above average player. You know, he's really fallen off the past few years. Uh, used to be considered among the best catchers in the game, won a silver slugger back in 2014. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to be the key to this lineup. I mean, Jason Kipnis, 31, uh, you know, right still in the heart of his career. I think he's going to be just fine. And I think Francisco Lindor is going to be just fine. So honestly, as far as this, this offense goes, I'm not really worried. I think they're going to be able to turn things around. They were one of the better offensive teams in all of baseball last year. Uh, and I'm not really worried about the rotation either. I mean, I, you know, the Indians were going into last year, were expected to be what the Astros were. They were, you know, held as, oh, you know, they failed in game seven against the Cubs, but this is going to be their year. And they did have an insane regular season, you know, where they had that that run of, of however many games it was they won in a row. Uh, and, and they showed, you know, that they could hang around. And the fact that they lost in the ALDS was a big blow for them, obviously. But, you know, they did make it to the World Series the year before. They have that playoff experience. So I'm not really worried uh, about a lot of these players, even though some of them may be young. I mean, you know, Zimmer's 25. Jose Ramirez is 25, Lindor's 24, you know, the, you, that might jump out to you as an inexperienced team, but these guys, they've been to the playoffs before. They've seen, you know, what it takes to have to go deep into it. Maybe not Zimmer, but the other guys have. And, you know, I have full faith in this team to be able to turn the offense around and maintain his pitching. So I think, you know, while they are first place in the AL Central, they're only 11-8. I think that, you know, they have a future that is much higher uh, and one that's going to be super impressive. So I'm not worried about the Indians, uh, to say the least. Now, Mookie Betts, on the other hand, not that I'm going to say I'm worried, but I want to temper expectations a little bit here. Betts through 19 games, uh, entering m uh, Sunday's play, uh, has a 366 batting average, has a 1.191, 1.191 OPS, uh, eight doubles leads the league, six homers. I mean, has been an absolutely outstanding offensive force. 23 runs. Already. Yeah, already leading both the American and National League. What do you think? kind of player is Mookie Betts. I mean, a lot of team, a lot of uh, news outlets right now are putting out their top 100s of MLB players, and I'm seeing Mookie Betts ranked consistently in the top 10 uh, in terms of best talent around the league. He finished sixth in MVP voting last year, second in 2016, but had two very, very different seasons. His 2016 season uh, finished with 31 homers, hit 318, uh, OPS plus of 133. Then last year fell off a little bit, had a lower batting average, didn't hit for as much power, still had a great season, but his OPS plus was 108, which I, you know, 
giving him a silver, he didn't get a silver slugger. And I think honestly, putting him six at the MVP voting was a little bit generous, uh, just to me. Um, I think name value helped him out a little bit more uh, than he actually played. Kevin, which of those two seasons do you think best represents who Mookie Betts is and who he will be for the rest of his career? Honestly, I think it's the 2016 season. Uh, you know, there's a lot of articles that came out after the 2016 season really comparing him to Mike Trout and, you know, really talking about is he the best player in Major League Baseball. There were some, you know, articles out there. Uh, I know Bleacher Report had one. And, you know, 318 uh, average for a whole season with 31 home runs and 26 stolen bases. Uh, 122 runs. I mean, all those numbers just jump off the page. Uh, 730 plate appearances while he's doing that. I mean, what a what a season in 2016. I mean, uh, he should have won MVP. He didn't um, because of you know Mike Trout. But um, you know, what a season. And last year, you know, uh, just because he hit 264, still to 803 OPS. Um, you know, 102 RBIs, 24 home runs, 26 stolen bases, 101 runs. I. You know, I still think he's a great baseball player. Um, you know, we see this with, you know, a lot of players. Uh, they have one, two down seasons in their career, but they always bounce back. I feel like, you know, because he's a top 10 player, he's going to bounce back this year. And you're seeing that right now with the 366 average, a 1.191 OPS, a 218 OPS plus. I mean, he's a great baseball player. And I think this year uh, he'll actually surpass his numbers that he had in 2016. I think, I think he's a top five player in Major League Baseball. I mean... Don't get me wrong. Mookie Betts is an outstanding talent, more than deserving of his two gold gloves. And I think, you know, you in the argument for top 10 player in baseball. Now, do I think he's one among the top, you know, three or four? That's up for debate. I mean, right now, his batting average on balls in play is 345, uh, which is certainly going to regress. His hard hit percentage is at 50%, which is absolutely insane. Uh, you know, I, I can just see his numbers right now, and they're going to regress. I mean, there's no way that he can maintain a 345 BABIP throughout the whole course of a season. He had a 322 BABIP in 2016, and that's why there was that inflation in numbers. And he had the regression and actually fell to a 268. Average BABIP is 300, uh, for those of you who don't know. So, you know, he's kind of danced that line back and forth the past two years. So, honestly, he's probably somewhere in the middle of where 2016 and 2017 was. You know, I, I can see him hitting about 280, um, you know, maybe, maybe getting up to 28, 29 home runs. Uh, but I, I don't know if I'm, we're going to ever see him have a 40 home run year. That's what a lot of people are saying, you know, he's unleashing his power, uh, already at six homers on the year and, you know, hitting for such a high average. But, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, once he starts getting all the breaking balls, once, you know, pitchers start adjusting to him, he's not seeing the ball as well as he is right now. Cause like I said, a 50% hard hit percentage is absolutely incredible. You know, not something you can sustain over the course of a full season. He's making a lot of good contact right now. And, you know, that's going to come and go. That, that's just kind of how baseball works. You know, hot streaks, cold streaks. It, it's just kind of the flow of the game. So, you know, what we're seeing right now from Mookie Betts is him at his best, you know, at, you know, in a hot streak, in which we see out of a lot of players. But I don't think that this is, can be him sustained over the course of a full season, uh, simply because, you know, you, you just got to look at, you know, some of the deeper numbers here. It's clearly showing that he's going to be regressing. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a good thought to, to think that Mookie Betts can be, you know, can be Mike Trout, can be, you know, the player that he is. But I really don't think that he is among the top three to five best players in baseball. I think maybe top ten, certainly. Uh, but just because his power, to me, doesn't jump off the page, his batting average, his on-base percentage, it's good, but it's not elite. Uh, so we'll see, you know, how he maintains uh, that over the course of the full season. But, you know, until his on-base percentage is around 400, until his slugging percentage is getting closer to six, uh, you know, I, I mean five, I don't know. I, it, to me, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the type of player that everybody's expecting to be.
Yeah, but see, we didn't even talk about his Gold Glove awards. That's why I mentioned it. And I said, you know, he's certainly deserving of those two Gold Gloves. I'm talking about offensively, you know, his power to me is is susceptible. 459 slugging percentage last year. I mean, you know, there were... 534 in 2016. But that's what I'm saying. He had, he benefited from a lot of, you know, balls going his way. So far this year, where, you know, he's played 19 games. So, that's that's one-eighth of the season. One eighth. We got seven more eights to go. <laughs> Too late, buddy. It's, like, it's the whole half. Yeah. Half glass full. Half. Glass exactly. Full. And you know, I, like I said, I think Mookie Betts is an outstanding player, and being among the top ten players in baseball is no small feat. I'm just saying, you know, let's slow down our comparisons to Mike Trout. You know, Mike Trout is an otherworldly talent, the clear-cut best player in baseball. I think Jose Altuve is in that conversation up there uh, for best offensive players. I don't even put Bryce Harper up in that conversation. You know, my Nats bias is not going to let me call a guy whose career batting average is, what, 270, you know, among the top five players in baseball. I think maybe top 10. I think maybe in the Mookie Betts category, Harper could be. But as far as as the best player in baseball, I don't think Mookie Betts belongs in that conversation just yet. Now, if he were to defy all expectations and have an outstanding year after the season i'll be willing to bend a little bit but we'll see you know how the season goes i mean his career ops plus is 123 that's pretty good uh you know 851 ops uh 355 on base percentage 496 slugging i know you're talking about that slugging percentage meaning meaning to be uh close to 500 it's at 496 for his career um you know we've had a pretty good sample size here 527 career games i think you know the the jury's no longer out on Mookie Betts. I think he's, you know, a top 10, top 5 player in, in Major League Baseball. I don't know. I mean, you know, Mike Trout's OPS plus over his career is 172. Mike I Trout's mean, been the clear-cut best player in baseball for five years now. So yes. There's no debating Mike Trout. We're debating someone else. I mean, if you compare him to a lot of players that are in that, you know, top 10 class, he's better than a lot of them. Yeah, but I'm, I'm what I'm saying, like, Jose Altuve is up there to me. No one Arenado's up there I to me. Jose Altuve, well... Arenado's a sticky situation because of where he plays. But even on, on the road, he's still an outstanding offensive okay, player. That, that's fine. Um, but Jose Altuve, I think, is clear-cut number two. I mean, I don't know about you. Yeah, I would say. He's up there. I mean, if, and this is not including pitchers. You know, I think you know Scherzer and Kershaw and Kluber. Harper. I, I, see, Harper, to me... Top five. Harper's top five offensive player to you? So he's like five. I would say he's more around seven or eight to me. You know, I, I, I think that, you know, he his... Health has been a huge issue. He hasn't been able to stay healthy over a full year. He had that one down year uh, where he hit like 240 uh, because of a lagging shoulder issue, but he still played through it. But, you know, health has just kept him from being that one guy that he was in 2013 when he had that outstanding season. Uh, you know, sorry, 2015. And, you know, I, I, I'd i love to see Harper do that over the course of a full season. We just haven't seen it yet. You know, obviously that dramatic injury last year uh, where he blew out his knee almost, you know, that was a whole other issue. But, uh, you know, he plays with that reckless style, and, and so far we haven't been able to see him, you know, play over the course of a full season. Betts has been able to stay healthy over the last three years. We've kind of gotten the, a read on who he is uh, as a player, and he's a great one. And, you know, I think that he certainly deserves his gold gloves. He deserved a silver slugger in 2016. But as far as a top five player goes, I can't, I can't put my, you know, verdict down just yet. Anyway, that's going to wrap up our MLB content. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Pure Sports MLB, for all of your MLB updates. Grant Shives over there runs that account and is doing a fantastic job, so he is certainly worth the follow. Now we're going to go over to the NBA, uh, where we have several big series going on right now. Um, We're going to talk about one that just wrapped up. That's the Pelicans and Trailblazers. Uh, Pelicans surprising everybody, sweeping the Blazers 4 to nothing. Anthony Davis leading the way, uh, 132 total points in the series. Uh, Absolute force. 
for them. Uh, the Blazers, however, really falling off, not really getting uh, a lot of uh, production out of their main guys, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum. Some people are talking about, you know, are they going to be breaking up this team? Kevin, where do you think the Blazers go from here? Oh, yeah. You know, I saw a lot of people in questioning Terry Stotts yesterday, uh, maybe saying that he, you know, shouldn't be the coach anymore. I mean, uh, in his time as a, a coach, I don't think he's won a playoff game, and that's that's concerning. Um, you know, the, the Blazers have some talented players. I mean, we've been saying it throughout the series that, you know, they really need C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard to play better, and they didn't. You know, I think a coach, a great coach, really adjusts in those situations. I don't think it's Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum's fault. I think it was the game plan. Uh, you know, I think it's time to, you know, question Terry Stotts as a, you know, good NBA coach. I think uh, that's going to be called into question this offseason, and we'll see what they do. Now, with the drop-off that Damian Lillard had, I mean, scoring 27 points per game, dropping down to 18 and a half uh, in this playoff series, you know, he was really limited by a backcourt, uh, you know, in Drew Holiday, uh, Rajon Rondo, like we've talked about multiple times in this show, uh, that was really be able to put on the straps. Uh, you know, Lillard, only 27, certainly has a long career ahead of him. Uh, where do you think he is from here? Like, if he is traded, what it, what are his what are his outlooks? Does he, you know, do the can the Blazers rebuild with just him around and sell everybody else off? What, where do you think Lillard stands in all of this? You know, I think Lillard is is most definitely a top 15 player in the NBA. I think you know they have to keep him around. Uh, he's been you know terrific this year, like you talked about. I think the struggles in the playoffs come more of it. You know, like I said, it's a game plan issue. I mean, he's a great basketball player. Obviously, he can hit, you know, tough shots and stuff. But, you know, it takes a coach's, you know, adjustment and strategy to, um, you know, really improve. So, uh, you know, come, the Pelicans had a great game plan all series. And, you know, that's why he struggled. But Damian Lillard was a huge reason why this team was, you know, a top three seed in the Western Conference this year. I mean, like you said, like close to 27 points a game. That's got to be top 10 in the NBA. I mean, he's been terrific, and they need to keep him around. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see the logic here in, in tearing down this team. I mean, yeah, they got a lot of money tied up in Lillard. Uh, you know, I think it's $125 million over the next five years, or that was including this year, so $100 million over the next four years or so. Um, but, you know, finishing third in the West is no small feat, even if this was a year where it was kind of top-heavy and we didn't have as much competition for that number three spot as we might have thought. But, you know, McCollum's only 26. Uh, you know, they still have uh, Aminu, who's only 27. Uh, Nurkic, who's 23. I mean, you know, this this is a young core on this team. And, you know, maybe they didn't get the production that they were looking for. Uh, and they go and add some guys, you know, that can help and support this team in terms of the bench. But, you know, I'm not really worried about their future necessarily. They don't look like they're in the same category as the Rockets and the um, and the Warriors do. But I can easily see this team making the jump that the Rockets did uh, over the past two years and moving up to in the category for that number one seed, in the category for winning a few playoff series. You know, this is obviously disappointing. But the Pelicans, they came out and they balled. I mean, you know, they had you know one tough win uh, in the game one, winning by two. But after that, 111 to 102, 119 to 102, 131, 123. I mean, they weren't close games. And Anthony Davis, you know, having a career uh, series of his life, you know, going off for 35 points in game one, 47 in game four, uh, you know, getting the outstanding production out of Drew Holiday, uh, Miritich, Rondo. I mean, up and down, this roster really came out. Uh, and I was just very impressed. You know, they're obviously going to be facing the Warriors next round, granted, as long as the Spurs don't come back from 3-0 uh, to win it. But, uh, you know, I don't think... We, we were talking before this show, Kevin and I, okay, we can't really say, like, how far can the Pelicans go, because can they really beat the Warriors? Probably not, but over-under on 
two and a half games. Uh, no, let's go one and a half games. There you go. Uh, that they win over or under. Are you taking the Pelicans? I'll go under. Um, you know the Warriors. You know they lost to the Spurs. Um, you know I think the Spurs are a pretty talented team, um, but. You know, they lost today, so, you know, it showed that they can lose to a team that's a lot worse than them. You know, the Pelicans, they had two great players, and that carried them through uh, the Trailblazers series. But, you know, I don't think Anthony Davis is going to be able to expose um, the Warriors like he did uh, the Trailblazers. So, you know, I, I, would, I would take the under, uh, hard under, either one or zero. I'd say it's probably, my over-under would be 0. 0.5. Um, you know, I, I think it's And a, you'd still take the under? A, I, yeah, I think it's a four or five game series. Um, I think, you know, if you want to make that a competitive bet in Vegas, you do have a point five. Um, you know, I just, I think the Warriors are just so much more experienced than any other team in the Western Conference. I mean, even the Rockets and, you know, going up a team against a team, you know, great that they swept uh, the Trailblazers. That's, you know, quite a feat, but quite the feat, but, you know, really they haven't done this before. Um, they haven't really, you know, been to the second round of the playoffs. They haven't had to play a tough team like the Warriors on the road. Um, in the playoffs, so you know, I'd say four or five, four or five games max, and it's not going to be close. I mean, obviously, the health of Steph Curry is going to be a big thing here. I mean, we're expecting him to be back for Game One of the series. Um, so as long as he's back, I, I think they're certainly going to be, you know, Golden State moving on the next round. But I can honestly see this this series going to to six games. I mean, we saw how those. Warriors stumbled into the playoffs. Clearly, that hasn't taken a huge toll on them right now. Um, but it, you know, the Spurs aren't exactly playing the best basketball they played all year. I mean, we saw them at a much better sp- uh, spot earlier in this year, earlier in the season. They're missing Kawhi. It's a huge blow for them. They're not a complete team. Whereas I see, not necessarily that the Pelicans are a complete team, but they're more complete and certainly better and have been playing better over the past two, three months or so. So you know, I think the Pelicans. You know, if the Spurs can rack off one win, I think the, the Pelicans can at least get two. I see it going to six, but the, the Warriors moving on um but you know it, i think it can be an exciting series and i think that this is definitely something for pelicans fans to to build off of moving into next year um you know anthony davis we we before we thought okay he's going to be one of the best players in the nba there's no doubt about it then you know he was good but not amazing until the second half of the season when he actually tore up the court um really taking over with boogie cousins out for the rest of the season uh and you know we're really seeing what kind of player he can be on a consistent basis and it's been so much fun to watch so you know with drew holiday playing well with miratis still on the team next year you know they have a future and you know i think it's bright in new orleans and we could be seeing them you know in a top four three seed uh going into the playoffs next season yeah, I do. I do like. I'm not gonna lie. I do like the way the Pelicans are playing, and there's gonna be some question marks with Marcus Cousins. What happens there? Whether they bring him back or not, um, you know, that's definitely an injury. That's you know, so many question marks there, especially a guy that's so explosively on, so explosive on the boards. You know, hurting his Achilles, um, it's tough. I mean, I, I I'm getting all down about the Pelicans, mm-hmm. just talking about the Marcus Cousins, but Anthony Davis is you know moving his way up the leaderboard as one of the best players in the NBA. I mean, offensively and defensively, what he can do is amazing. And Drew Holiday, um, kind of reviving his career, um, has played great this year. And this Pelicans team is good. Um, I'd like to see what they can do in the offseason, how much money they have to spend, uh, who they can go out and get. I think they really need a little more depth. Um, but, you know, I think the big signing for them was Rajon Rondo. I mean, he's been terrific throughout the playoffs. I mean, he's really turned on playoff Rondo um, and been great. So, and provides them, you know, they, they can play lineups with Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo now, which has, you know, been really good. You know, Drew Holiday, like we saw the other night, he scored 41 points. He can step in more of a scoring role while, uh, while Rondo really controls the offense and distributes the ball. So, 
Yes, I really like them. No, I don't really like them against the Warriors. Yes, I do like them in the future. Keeping things in the Western Conference, though, the Jazz are up 2-1 on the Thunder in a surprising... I don't even know if we can call it surprising with how well the Jazz have been playing, um, but the Thunder have the name recognition. They have Russell Westbrook, reigning MVP. Uh, Paul George is considered, you know, playoff Paul, uh, you know, a guy who has, has the experience, been in the Eastern Conference Finals before. Um, Carmelo Anthony, who's also been in the Eastern Conference Finals. Steven Adams, uh, one of the better centers in the league. Yet they are down 2-1 to the Utah Jazz, thanks to the play of Donovan Mitchell and in the last game, Ricky Rubio going off for a triple-double. Um, Rudy Gobert playing outstanding defense. Kevin, are the Jazz in control of this series? I mean, you know, Russell Westbrook has had some really poor fourth quarter performances, scoring only two points combined in the fourth quarter over the past two games. Is, you know, what are we seeing out of him? We've seen him play very well in the playoffs before, you know, carrying the Thunder uh, to some really surprising finishes. Yet here we are with them down 2-1 to the Jazz. Are the Jazz in control? Jazz in control, no. I I still think this is a seven-game series no matter what. I mean, you saw playoff P, um, you know, you saw him go off in game one. I mean, 36 points or whatever, eight three-pointers. I mean, the Thunder just got cold the last couple of games. I think they're going to turn around. I think they're going to make this a seven-game series. I don't think the Jazz are in control by any means, uh, but it's going to be a good series. Uh, Russell Westbrook does need to, you know, turn around a little bit. But, you know, I, I, I still have confidence in the Thunder. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, I mean, I don't know if you've watched any of these games. Mm-hmm. He's been you know, great. You know, they put him in ISO and he scores you know, all the time. Um, but still think it's the Thunder series to win, um, especially because they have home, home court advantage. What is your unbiased pick here? Who has been the more impressive rookie in the playoffs, Donovan Mitchell or Ben Simmons? I'd say it have to be Ben Simmons. I mean, the composure he's had, um, you know, the three, two or three triple doubles in three games or four games. Um, he's been terrific. And, you know, with you take... I mean, both of these guys have been amazing because you take them away from their teams. Uh, those teams, you know, barely playoff teams. And, you know, I think Simmons, I mean, if you watch what he's done uh, in a very physical and, you know, intimidating series against the Heat, he's been terrific. He has them up 3-1. Now, the Jazz are only up 2-1. Mm-hmm. So I don't think... Haven't played as many games. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I, I, the jury's still out, but I, st- I still think unbiased... I think most people would say Ben Simmons has been more impressive. He's basically averaging a triple-double in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, while Donovan Mitchell has been the go-to scorer for the Jazz, Simmons has done it all. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you there. I just wanted to see if you were going to go with a, a conflicting take there on your uh, your beliefs here. But, I, you know, I agree. You know, Donovan Mitchell, I think in the course of their two careers, Donovan Mitchell is going to be the better pure scorer. Um, but, you know, he's not as complete a player as Simmons is. You know, Simmons racks up the rebounds. I mean, he reminds me of Russell Westbrook's play. Just, I think, honestly, a little less reckless and more composed, which is hilarious because Russell Westbrook is such an experienced player. You would think it would be the other way around. But Simmons just looks like a veteran on the court. I mean, he really does, you know, carry himself with this level of swagger that you don't see out of a lot of rookies. And that almost, it almost seems like that's where we're going with rookies these days. I mean, you know, we're seeing more and more younger players stepping up and playing bigger roles in their team than we have in the past. I mean, even when, you know, uh, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant joined the Thunder uh, in their respective rookie seasons, they weren't, you know, these all-star caliber players. They were they were good players, but they weren't, you know, up there where they are right now. We're seeing, you know, Ben Simmons and, and Donovan Mitchell playing like guys that have been in the league three, four, five years. I mean, and it's absolutely incredible to see. And honestly, it would be a great shift for the NBA if that's something that we could start to see. I mean, we're seeing it in baseball right now. You know, in the MLB, there are these rookies bursting on the scene. Aaron Judge, Mike Trout. Uh, you know, Bryce Harper, these guys, when they come, Chris Bryant, 
when they when they break onto the scene, they were good immediately. And it was absolutely Corey Seager, another one. Guys that were just outstanding to watch, really, you know, and have maintained that play throughout their careers. And it, it's been so fun uh, to see young guys who have all this emotion, young guys who really, you know, put themselves all out on the court as opposed to when veterans are are dominating the league. You know, you have these calm and composed dudes, uh, you know, hitting home runs and, and taking their trots or hitting that three and just kind of staring off onto the crowd. You know, it's, it's more fun to see all this emotion, the excitement that the young players bring. And I think both the NBA and the MLB are switching kind of to this uh, you know, young revolution, and it's so so much fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the young talent in the NBA is, I think, the brightest it's ever been. Um, I think you can argue that. I mean, other than the draft class that included LeBron, D. Wade, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh, I mean, that was a very impressive draft yes. class. But, you know, I still think there's growth um, to be had in this draft. I mean, you look at Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons, you know, comparatively to how good the rookie class was last year where Malcolm Brogdon won Rookie of the Year, it leaps and bounds better. I mean, Ben Simmons is considered by LeBron James himself, LeBron James Jr. Donovan Mitchell is loved by every other NBA player. Mm -hmm. They all want him to win Rookie of the Year except LeBron who won Ben Simmons one. I mean, both of those guys have been terrific. They're receiving praise from, you know, some of the best players in the NBA. Um, But, yeah, the future is so bright for the NBA. And, you know, as a huge basketball fan I, i'm so excited to see the evolution of this game um you know see the whole new class because you're seeing you know lebron's really the exception but you're seeing everyone from that draft class kind of fade out of their careers now you know carmelo's taking a whole new role wade plays like 25 minutes a game a uh, brand new role with the heat he doesn't really he's not the go-to scorer that he used to be um chris bosh can't play because of his heart condition i mean all these guys are getting faded out except lebron who somehow has the best season in his career this year well, he's um, LeBron James. <laughs> yeah, somehow. But, you know, as those guys fade out of the league, we're going to have a whole new wave, and that wave is, is extremely exciting. Our final game I want to talk about here was one that happened today, or for all you listeners, yesterday. The Bucks beating the Celtics 104-102 to to tie the series at two games apiece. The series will now go back to Boston, uh, where they will continue to switch off through the rest of the series uh, game by game. Al Horford uh, not playing as well as everybody thought he would uh, here, playing 37 minutes, he had only scoring 13 points, did pick up nine rebounds um, in two blocks, but you know hasn't really been uh, the guy that everyone thought he has. Instead, we're seeing Jalen Brown really stepping up, Jason Tatum playing very well. Uh, you know they're getting Terry Rozier, um, you know playing well, but away from the Celtics here, the Bucks have really brought themselves up in, in, into the middle of this conversation as you know, a team that can really win. I mean, obviously taking Kyrie out of this equation hurts the Celtics' chances for sure. But the Bucks, you know, were considered, it was Giannis and everybody else. But Chris Middleton has been making a name for himself in this series. Uh, Eric Bledsoe didn't have a great game in Game 4, but was pretty pretty good through Games 2 and 3. Uh, so we've been seeing, you know, some production. Jabari Parker uh, certainly, you know, scoring 16 points Game 4, you know, having a decent Game 4, you know, what we've been seeing out of him through this season. The Bucks are taking some steps forward. And, you know, they made that crazy buzzer beater in Game 1 and, you know, lost in overtime, obviously, but they're an overtime loss away from being up 3-1 right now. Uh, they are playing very, very well. Uh, honestly, I think the Celtics are lucky to be in the spot that they are, you know, being able to go back home uh, with the series only tied 2-2. Uh, you know, can the Bucks win this series? Is it, are the Celtics really in trouble? Yeah, I think they are. I mean, we've been seeing it, you know, down the stretch of the last two games. They really don't have a go-to score without Kyrie Irving. I mean, they really need everyone to contribute. Um, and, you know, one or two of those guys have an off night and, you know, the Bucks can really take control because they have Giannis and Chris Middleton to go to um, to get buckets each game. And 
You know, I think the momentum is definitely on the Bucks side now, and it's really scary. I mean, while, you know, two of the next three games are going to be played in Boston, um, you know, all of the momentum is on the Bucks side, and, you know, they have the best player in the series. And, you know, a lot of the time when it's a toss-up in a series, the team with the better player wins. And they have Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, a.k.a. the Greek freak, and, I, you know, I think he ends up carrying them on. Uh, to lose the Sixers. Yeah, I, of course you have to say that. I mean, my Wizards are playing right now. I'm sure the score isn't pretty. Or actually, no, yep, down eleven and a half. Um, and you know, I don't think that they're going to be uh, upsetting the Raptors here. But if the Celtics and you know the Pacers games tonight too, so unfortunately we can't comment on that yet. But if the Cavs and Celtics lose. It just opens the East wide open. And yes, the 76ers look like that best team. Um, but, you know, if the Bucks are moving on, if the Pacers are moving on, you know, which of the – I know you're going to pick the 76ers, but let's go – let's look out of here. Between the Raptors, the Pacers, and the Bucks, can any of those three teams take down the 76ers? Because, you know, I, I – think they're I, all capable of taking down the 76ers. I'm not saying that 76ers are, you know – Legit, the best team. In I think they are. Conference. I honestly think they are. And you know, uh, with with how poorly let's, the Cavs let's have not played, get this wrong. I think the Cleveland Cavaliers are still the best team in the Eastern Conference. Well, I think they're going to lose in the first. I round. think at the end of the day, they're still going to win that series. The Pacers. I don't see LeBron losing to the Pacers um, in a seven game series. I mean, it might take seven games, and it might come down to the last minute of the last game of Game Seven. But I don't see LeBron losing. Um, you know, it's going to be tough with you know Kevin Love's injury and stuff, but. No, I just I. Well, we'll go back to your question because I. Between I those three that. other teams, if you had to pick one team to make the the NBA Celtics, Finals, Bucks or Pacers? Bucks, Pacers, Raptors. I'd say you know I'd say the Bucks. I mean I think the depth is there. Um, they have Eric Bledsoe, Giannis, Chris Middleton, um, Malcolm they, Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon's been great. Uh, Jabari Parker, Della Vadova, who's been. You know, not right now, certainly not a great player, but, you know, we've seen some great out, outstanding uh, playoff performances from him in the past. I agree. I think the Bucks that are, are a legitimate team, and that's why I think the, the Celtics are lucky to be where they are right now. You know, they're in a good position to win this series, certainly, but I think the Bucks are the better team with the way they've been playing, and, you know, I'm expecting, a, a, you know, a good series between them, but also the Bucks to go far. Yeah, I mean, no, I understand what you're saying, and I don't know. I don't think any of those teams are capable of winning the Eastern Conference. No, I think if, if the Cavs don't make, uh, you know, maybe maybe the Sixers can be in the conversation with the Warriors, but I think the Warriors or the Ra- or the Rockets, uh, whoever wins that Western Conference uh, final game, is going to be winning the NBA Finals. I mean, they look like the two best teams in the NBA by a long shot. Um, you know, it's, 76ers are a nice story, and they certainly look very good right now, um, but, you know, they're playing the Heat, and the Heat are not, you know, they're not the Rockets, they're not the Warriors, they're not the Blazers, who the Pelicans just swept. I mean, you know, I think the, we can both agree that whoever comes out of the Eastern Conference is not winning the NBA title. Unless it's the Cavs. I don't know. I don't think the Cavs are good enough to beat the Warriors or the Rockets. I, I, I think they play the Rockets. I think the Warriors haunt them, and I don't think they stand a chance playing the Warriors. But if they play the, the Rockets, I think there could be a chance. You know, LeBron, LeBron versus James Harden would be just such a fun finals to watch. Uh, you know, two of the best talents in the NBA, but... And one and two probably in the MVP race as well. One, two, and... Who do you think breaks the top two besides them? I can't see anybody else. I mean, you know, we've certainly had some good years around the league, but nobody, you know, has been played to that level, I think, of LeBron with, with the guys that he's had around him to be able to put the put up the numbers he's had has been absolutely incredible. James Harden, 
was certainly in that conversation last year, is finally getting like, his shot. I think Harden wins. I mean, I think I think it's going to be, honestly, a landslide that Harden wins. Uh, you know, it was kind of like what we saw with Jose Altuve and Aaron Judge. Everyone's talking about how close it's going to be, and then we just see this huge gap of everyone picking Altuve. I think By the same way. Anthony Davis had a good, great second half, but I think that first half's going to hurt him. Just 28.1 points, 11.1 rebounds, 2.3 blocks. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Don't get me wrong. I love Anthony Davis, but I think James Harden has... I, like you've talked about this before, the NBA's fraternity. I think that, you know, even though it's not the players who are voting for the MVP, you know, Harden has put in his work over the last few years that it's finally his year. It was the same thing when Kevin Durant won. Uh, you know, there were certainly other guys deserving of that award that year. You know, you had Steph Curry, you had uh, LeBron, but, you know, Kevin Durant hadn't won an MVP uh, and, you know, it was like his turn. So I felt almost the same way Russell Westbrook. Now, Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double, and that was incredible. He did it and, again this year. Yeah, he did it again this year. But he did it again, so it's not as significant now. And so that's going to not be well, a knock also, against him. It's also, he did it last year. He not only averaged a triple-double, he also scored over 30 points a game and was, you know, the head of a team that went to the playoffs in the Western Conference. It's not an easy feat, mm-hmm. especially when it's, a, you know, basically last year it was a one-man show. Yeah. 100. It was him and Oladipo, but Oladipo wasn't getting the Oladipo was, playing time. Oladipo was 15 points a game and <laughs> player efficiency rating below average in the NBA. So, you know, really not a great year out of him. No, but, you know, we'll see. That's going to wrap up our show for today. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Pure Sports Net. Check out our Facebook at Pure Sports Network and go to our website at puresportsnetwork.com. I'm Matt Weirich. This is Kevin Haswell signing off. Kevin, any final words for the good people? Sixers are winning the Eastern Conference. I put my money on that. You know how we talked about on earlier episodes when I put my money on something, it happens. I'm putting money on the Sixers. It's going to happen. Going to lose in the finals, but they're winning the Eastern Conference, which is great because at the beginning of the year, I said, everyone watch out. They're going to win a one playoff series. And everyone laughed at me. Everyone laughed that they were going to win a playoff series. They're one win away from moving on, winning that playoff series that you know I called at the beginning of the season. And my new prediction is they're going to the NBA Finals. Laugh at me. It's going to happen. We will see. Go Nats. Uh, Wizards, it's not our year. Caps, everyone's saying it might be their year. We will see. Um, But, you know, who knows? Thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.